Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I'm Nika Spaulding, your host. And today we are at a pivot point in our text. We finished up yesterday or our last podcast where we were in the book of Amos on Judah. So if you remember, we Amos has addressed the nations. Then he went to the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And now our pivot is moving into the meat of what we're getting at, which is Amos is going to address the nation of Israel today. And so without further ado, let's jump right in. Today's text is, comes from Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Amos 2, verses 6 through 16. And this is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you for forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides his horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Um, wow. Yeah. So Amos is not pulling punches. And so I, when I read this part, it reminds me of, I think when I was growing up, uh, as much as I would like to pretend that I was kind to my siblings, uh, hmm. I'm not sure that that's the exact truth of what my childhood entailed for me. And so uh, when my siblings got in trouble, let me just be more specific. When my sister got in trouble, my older sister, there were definitely times that I took delight in that to where I'm sure the corners of my mouth turned up. And my mom would catch that because, you know, mom's got eyes everywhere. And she'd be like, and you, and she would turn. And then like at that point is when I heard the right act being read toward me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were focusing on Brittany. Focus your, mom, focus here. I need you to focus on Brittany's transgressions. Remember Nika? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And y'all, y'all know this. This is great, like movie scene stuff where somebody is just laying into a person and then the person next to them is laughing and they're like, what are you laughing at? You think that's funny? And then they turn and they're like, and then all of a sudden their transgressions have been laid bare. And it's just good comedy, honestly. And this would be good comedy if it weren't so stinking painful, right? The thing, the accusations that God is going to bring against Israel today are not the transgressions of a nine-year-old bratty Nike. These are serious 
uh, injustices. I don't. I mean, I just want to use language strong enough to communicate what Israel was doing was horrific. And so if they weren't so painful what they were doing, it would be honestly hilarious to watch God turn his attention on them. And so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to actually attack this portion of scripture in pieces. We're just going to do part one today where we look at this introduction, accusation, judgment pattern that we've seen Amos already establish throughout the book. And this is really going to be our last one. We're going to transition after chapter two. The first two chapters are really introduction, accusation, judgment. And then we're going to transition in chapters three through six are a little bit different. And you'll see that pattern change in the future. And so this is our last one. And we're going to focus just on verses six through eight in this podcast. But I wanted to read the whole thing together because I want you to see it as a unit. That it starts out with, here's what you've done wrong. And then what we'll talk about tomorrow is, but don't you know who I am? And in light of that, Here's what's going to happen. And so today we're just going to look at intro accusation because the accusation judgment piece is interrupted by a little bit of God's resume. And we'll look at that tomorrow. Uh, and, and the accusations honestly are enough for, for one whole podcast. Um, and so this is what's going on with Israel. I want to remind you the language is going to be different than the international war crime language. This language is covenant breaking language. So the theme of the prophets that you're going to see over and over again when God is addressing one of his countries, which is different than when he's addressing not Israel or not Judah, those accusations are not tied to a covenant. The accusations that he's bringing against Israel are tied to you are not doing what it is that I have asked you to do to be my people. And we're going to look specifically at what they're doing. And then we're going to show you, remember, the accusations so beautifully reveal to us who God is and what he cares about. And so that's what we're going to look at today is we're going to see they have broken covenant with their God by doing horrific things to others. And it's going to show us what it is that God cares about. And so I just want to walk through their accusations and make sure we understand what's going on here. And so the first one that he brings against them is he says, they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. There's a reason why they use that term righteous. Most likely what they're referencing here is they take bribes and the innocent go punished and the needy are sold off for silver and sandals. Why don't you go ahead and tell me what a human life is worth? And God is going to ask you this. What is a human life worth? And the Israelites are like, oh, a pair of sandals or, uh, you know, some silver. No big deal. A little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. And the thing that makes this so atrocious is they're already wealthy. Like, what do you need some money for? Like, why are you trampling the poor to make yourself wealthy-er-er? You're already wealthy. And so this is what he's saying is that you are putting a price tag on a human life and you are wrongly evaluating them. You do not know what they're worth. How dare you turn away the innocent for a little bit of money? How dare you turn away the poor for some sandals? And then he goes on and he says, you trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn away the side of the afflicted. Same idea. Now, this idea of the poor. We live in a country, in America, if you're listening in America, that it feels like there's, I'll say this. I live in a city where there's a large poverty problem. There's a large homeless problem in, well, problem, uh, yeah, I'll say problem, in Dallas. In in God's economy, in the nation of Israel, why this is covenant-breaking 
the nation of America is not in covenant with God in the same way that Israel was. We have a poverty problem that God takes very seriously, and I believe that the churches should be looking after the poor. We should be seeking out programs, and we should be seeking out the poor in order to provide for them. I believe that, and I believe that because of the principle that we learn from the covenant. God, in his covenant with Israel, makes provision so that there should never be poor among them. It's crazy, right? So economic downturn can happen if you're in a society that is dependent on weather. That, that's just a reality of life or whatever. Maybe your business fails. Economic downturns is a reality. So let's say you owe somebody a great debt because they had to rescue you out of that. In God's law, he asks us to forgive debt every so often, every seven years. And then there's this great year, the year of Jubilee, like in the covenant, with God and God's people, God tells him, you should never have any poor among you. So first of all, nation of Israel, this is covenant language. Not only is an indictment against you because you have poor among you and you should have sought out ways to make sure that's not happening because human dignity and honor is really important to God, but then you have the audacity to trample them? Like, wait, 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 wait. You shouldn't even have them. And because you have them and you're not caring for them, then you don't think it's a big deal that you would push their head down into the dirt and you don't think that's going to grab God's attention. It's an incredibly offensive thing that they're doing. He talks about that. And then he says, and then Israel, I mean, Amos has a lot of indictments he can make here. So one, you're selling the innocent for a a small profit, and you're already wealthy, so how dare you? Second of all, you're not caring for the poor, and you should be caring for them. What's worse than that, not only are you not caring for them, you're afflicting them. And then he says a husband, or excuse me, a father and a son go into the same girl. And so what's going on here? Most scholars believe that this is most likely a cultic practice that they probably got from the foreign nations where at certain religious sites there would be cultic prostitutes. In order to experience, have a religious experience at these cultic prostitute sites, men would come and have sex with these prostitutes. And and the reference to a father and a son is this generational situation. Everybody's doing it. It's this language of like, not only are the papas doing it, but the sons are doing it, which means you are passing down your iniquity to the next generation. I don't think I have to explain to you from the covenant point of view why this is wrong. I think this should be obviously wrong. First of all, exploiting women, not okay. Never been okay. Never okay in God's economy. And if you're confused about that, then you need to go back and get back with the heart of God. But if you're not confused about that, God has a prescribed way of worshiping him that is acceptable. He's got it all throughout the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's prescribed in great detail because God is very particular about how people would approach his worship. And if you remember, any cultic temple worship that's happening in the north is already wrong because they're not in Jerusalem at the temple. So there's no type of worship that Israel can engage in that's actually going to be acceptable. And then to make matters worse, you think exploiting cultic prostitutes is going to be okay? Boy, you done lost your mind. And so, again, painful, painful what they're doing. They are slapping God in the face while oppressing women and going about doing so in a way that it passes on to generation and generation. Horrific. And then... They say that they lay themselves beside every altar, which is a way to say they're continuing to worship idols. 
And then there's this specific phrase, on garments taken in pledge. So what does this have to do with the covenant? Again, God wants you to care for the poor. You shouldn't have poor among you. If there's an economic imbalance in Exodus 22, one of the ways that if let's say you were very wealthy and the guy next to you was not as wealthy and he needed to borrow something from you in order to, let's say, reap or sow his field. So maybe he's like, hey, bro, can I borrow your oxen for today? And you're like, yeah, sure, no problem. What do you have to kind of guarantee that I'm going to get my oxen back? This is normal, right? I mean, you think about you go to... Uh, well, I don't know. Where do you like people like you give somebody your license in order to borrow? I have no idea a good example, but y'all know what I'm saying. Like you give people a, a, a guarantee of something of yours so that when you return their valuable item, you'll get your valuable item back. Okay. And that, this happens, I'm sure in places where grownups go, but my brain doesn't work. So that's what's going on here. You So a poor person would often give their garment. Well, this is an outer coat that kept them warm. And a person that's not as wealthy would most likely only have one. And maybe a wealthy person has more than one. But either way, this person is giving something that they're going to need by nightfall. And God in Exodus 22 tells people that if you are the wealthier, if you have the position of stature and privilege here, and somebody gives you their garment and pledge, give it back to them before nightfall because it's the only one they have. So when he says they're laying themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, like the double whammy sin here of like, you are worshiping idols and by the way, doing so while exploiting the poor. Like the list of grievances against Israel in this is unbelievably extreme and unbelievably grotesque. And and Amos is just like, hey, I've already told you about the wickedness of the nations and you were in agreement with me that that should not go unpunished. And then I did a flyover of Judah and was like, whoa, covenant breakers, what are you doing? And you guys were like, yeah, Judah's the worst. And now he's coming to Israel and whatever spigot of judgment that he was dripping out those accusations, that spigot is now a fire hydrant blowing in Israel's face. You don't care for the poor. First of all, you shouldn't even have any poor. Second of all, you're already rich. What do you need an extra pair of sandals for? You're selling people. By the way, stop stop exploiting women at these cultic practices and quit calling it worship, by the way, because that's not acceptable. I've already told you how to do acceptable worship. And by the way, are you seriously practicing idol worship on a garment that you should have given back already? And so God turns up the language here and he says, and you are are in the, the house of their God, they drink the wine from the people they've taxed. God is basically saying, I don't know what God you think you're drinking this wine to, but it's not me. Clearly you're not worshiping me. That's why he says in that last verse, and in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fine. This is like a mic drop moment. Hits the dirty, you know, nasty floor of whatever temple prostitute they're doing their gross worship in. I mean, Amos has come to Bethel, a city in the north, and spoken these accusations, and they are huge indictments. And not a single Israelite who would have heard this would be unaware of how grievous this is against God. This is slapping God in the face. Every time he lists an accusation, it's multiply offensive right? So it'd be like uh, me, it'd be like my friends being like, oh yeah, yeah, we really wanted to celebrate you. And we did so by taking someone else out for your birthday and used your credit card to pay for it. And then we wrecked your car on the way home. Happy birthday. I'd be like, no, that's not, that's not how that works. 
Like, first of all, you took someone else out. You should have taken me out. Second of all, you used my money to celebrate, aka worship, in this weird metaphor. Not that my friends should ever worship me. But you get what I'm saying. And on top of all that, you wrecked my car? Like, do y'all really think that is going to be pleasing to me? Like, do you really think that's a way to honor me on my birthday? And if y'all are confused by that, any friends listening, please don't wreck my car and celebrate somebody else on my birthday. Yeah, all these accusations that are coming against Israel are unbelievably offensive. And they're built upon and predicated upon the fact that they're in relationship with God in a very special way. They know better, or they should anyways. So all of these offenses are not just, hey, you're harming others, stop it. It's you're harming others while simultaneously slapping me in the face. It's doubly offensive. So what's our big so what? Well, I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. In these oracle judgments, in our intro accusation judgment, and again, we're going to look at the judgment later that's coming for Israel at the end of this passage that I already read today. We're going to read the whole thing again tomorrow and talk about that in great detail. But in these accusation part, in that middle, that meat of the sandwich, we get a glimpse into what God values. Y'all, God is passionate about caring for those who cannot care for themselves. And the way he goes about doing it is one, when he has to, he exerts his own pressure. But two, he calls on his people to do those things. The people of God should always be concerned about maintaining the dignity and the honor of every person around us. That's a so what. Why is it so offensive to trample the poor? Why is it so offensive to sell the righteous for a pair of sandals? Why don't you go ahead and put a price tag on a human and let me know? Because whatever value you put on it, God sent himself to die on their behalf. So you're going to sell it short every time. Like, period. And that's what Israel's doing, is they're slapping God in the face by saying, these, these image bearers of yours, that you gave us the responsibility of caring for each other, that we are to love and to protect and care for each other, to demonstrate justice and mercy and grace as part of God's set-apart people. And when we don't do it, and God has to send his prophets, we get a very clear glimpse into what it is that God cares about. He is absolutely zealous for the people who need protection, for the poor, for the needy, for that poor cultic prostitute who's being abused. So our big so what today is when you see these accusations, again, throughout the gospel, or excuse me, throughout the prophets, and especially in the book of Amos, look through them, push through them and see the very heart of God. The God who is not far off from the afflicted, but near them. Who would say, absolutely, you may not treat my people this way. And I will send my prophets to stop you. And if that doesn't work, I will punish you. And we're going to continue to see that God values humanity more and, and greater than we do. But we should say yes and amen to God when he says these things are valuable. We should be upset when God is upset and we should value what God values. And so our so what today is we have to, we have to care for every human being on this planet. Otherwise, we are missing the very heart of God, which shines through these accusation passages for us. Something to consider, something to pray about, something to chew on. 
If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. Way more importantly, God is crazy about you and your neighbors and your friends and your family. Peace.